Miracy. I think what's really interesting in this whole question of emotion and empathy are the times which happen strangely often to coaches where their clients bring them exactly what they're experiencing in their own life. And so those life issues are oftentimes mirrored in our clients. Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped more than 70,000 coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. In this podcast, we answer burning questions that maybe newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. Now, developing empathy is an incredible, important skill for coaches. We need to really learn to listen to our clients, but also separate ourselves from what's going on for them. But coaches are human too. And we've got to deal with tough situations in our own lives. It's not always easy to keep healthy boundaries in place. So how can I be empathic with my clients, but not over-identify with them? To explore this, I'm going to talk to a friend and colleague that has a long experience of how to balance empathy, work, and avoid emotional overload. Today, I've invited Lisa Bloom to the conversation. Lisa is the CEO and founder of Story Coach, author of the books The Story Advantage and Cinderella and the Coach. She's a speaker and the director of ACES at Miracy. She loves to empower people and businesses worldwide with her story coaching programs, as well as with consulting and workshops that she does. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this topic and to have you on the show. And you know, empathy work and the need of boundaries that comes with that is, it's such an important topic for coaches. But before diving in, would you mind sharing just a little bit of background with our listeners? Sure, I'd love to. So I came to coaching uh, from organizations. I worked in learning and development. And when I decided I wanted to do something else, actually coaching kind of came to me. So a lot of people said, you know, you should be a coach and you've been coaching me and so on. And to be honest, I was a little resistant. I wasn't sure if it was a real thing, if it was really powerful. And I went back and went to school, studied and really fell in love with coaching and particularly with the connection as a performing professional storyteller, realizing that there was just something very connected between the story we tell, the story we believe and the ability to shift that story through coaching and really change the reality for our clients. And, you know, going back to the topic today, I saw that this work was really very powerful, kind of emotional work from day one. Now, there's a lot of niches in coaching, right? And so there's also life coaching, but you've got an interesting take on life coaching. Can you share that with everybody? I, I find this fascinating. So I'm not really a big believer in life coaching. I don't think that it should be kind of pulled away from other coaching. I think all coaching is life coaching, whether we're coaching executives or we're coaching health and wellness or we're coaching relationships, it's all part of our life. So I just don't think we can separate out life from everything we do during our life and in our life. And to me, it's more about how we are integrating the stories that we experience and the stories that we make up and the stories that we tell and how we integrate our life into everything that we do. Right. 
here at Coaches Console, you know, we work with a lot of people on their business, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you can separate business from life. Like life is happening. I like how you said that just a moment ago. Life is always happening. It's true for us as the coach in Mm -hmm. our business. Things are always coming at us, no matter what the topic of life it is. And the same is always true with our clients, whether you're coaching people in relationships or career or health and wellness or whatever it is, like whatever the topic is, it's all woven through there. And as coaches, I think that brings us to our topic. You know, empathy is, it's such a powerful skill to be mindful of as coaches. Uh, So let's, let's really get into that. Because a lot of times when I have this conversation with people, I think there's some confusion between empathy and compassion. So can we dial into that distinction? And what's your definition of both of those? I'd actually like to take it in a different direction, if that's okay. And I think there's lots of definitions. And I always go to Brené Brown when she talks about the difference between empathy and compassion and so on. But what interests me more, I think that even calling our topic around empathy, like calling it empathy, I think that narrows down the emotional load that coaches can experience. And I think that, yes, part of the emotional load is being empathetic. Sometimes at times where we don't feel we can or we want to be. But I think that what's even perhaps more interesting, and you might not agree with me, Melinda, is that we are dealing with emotions, not just empathy, all the emotions all the time. And so when you talked about the differentiation between life coaching and other types of coaching, I think what's really interesting in this whole question of emotion and empathy are the times which happen just strangely often to coaches where their clients bring them exactly what they're experiencing in their own life. And so those life issues are oftentimes mirrored in our clients. And how do we find the emotional, I guess, emotional depth to be able to deal with the things that often for us are the most triggering and the most difficult? I think that's the real job. So yes, empathy is definitely one of those emotions. But I think there are many emotions that we have to deal with. And and that to me is the interesting piece. How as coaches do we build the capacity and the kind of versatility and the flexibility to deal with all the different emotions that come at us all the time as a coach. And I think with all those emotions, and I certainly agree, I mean, I think being a coach is one of the greatest self-help explorations. Having our own business is one of the greatest self-help mm. explorations of our life because whatever whatever we're mm. going through, you can bet your clients are going to bring that exact thing. And they bring to us those same things that trigger. And so I think empathy, while it is one of those emotions, I think it can be a way to navigate all those emotions. And with empathy, we're able to relate to and understand the range of feelings and emotions that others are going through. Mm -hmm. But it's more of just the understanding of, I get it, I understand. Mm -hmm. And with compassion, I mean that, you know, the root meaning of compassion is to suffer together, right? But the interesting thing with that is how can I help? And so where do coaches, when you talk about building the capacity and the versatility and the flexibility to navigate all the emotions, can they use empathy and compassion to navigate this? Or how do they stay true to holding that container for our clients and -hmm. coaching them through it while not getting caught up in it ourselves? How do you do that? So I think one of the first things that pops to my mind when you talk about creating this container and not getting pulled into the issues that our clients bring is really about creating boundaries on the one hand, 
but also having a lot of self-awareness on the other so that we know what we have a tendency to be pulled into or what our own triggers are. And we are able to differentiate between what's going on in the life of the client or the prospect versus anything that we might feel is a little sensitive or difficult for us. So I think it starts with self-awareness. I think it continues with boundaries. And I also think it's really important to have, whether it's a team of people or whether it's a mentor or somebody that, or your own coach, that you can reflect on where things are, are challenging for you and talk it through and be able to try and figure out what the best strategies are to be able to create that safe container. Yeah, it's certainly like I find, you know, with my clients, I can help them navigate something. But for me, I can't do it for myself. I think a lot of coaches are like that. Definitely. Uh, or for your family. So I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you just said, you know, having that team or that coach or mentor, a specific person, that it's their role to help you talk through these, work through these, coach through these things beyond just a, a girlfriend or confidant that might listen. And also when you said, when you talked about, um, it's, it's such a, a wonderful kind of self-development journey. I think that it's the onus is on us as coaches to be able to continue to really develop our skills, to read all the books we need to read, to do our own coaching, to do our own processes so that we are as equipped as we possibly can be to, to create those boundaries and to be of service to the client. Now, you've been coaching and working with people in transformation for quite a while. What's a process that you have used or love to use that helps you build up that self-awareness and maintain? Because I find that it's, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and it's not a one and done, oh, I'm good. It's a forever thing that we're always doing as coaches. What's a process that you use to help you with that self-awareness? Yeah, I love that. And I think for me, I started off with an advantage in that I was trained as a counselor and um, I worked in the area of rape crisis. And that was a situation where you literally cannot bring that home with you because it will destroy you. You know, you're, you're listening to conversations and you're providing services to people um, who are going through very extreme things very often. And so as a, a very young woman learning how to be able to provide that kind of counseling support, we were hand in hand with a very senior person with a psychologist who would help us debrief many of the conversations we were having on the helpline. At the time, of course, I never thought it would have anything to do with anything I would do professionally. It was just something I did voluntarily on the side. But it was only years later when I became a story coach and when I began to listen to people's stories that I realized these life issues, these whether it's trauma or whether it's just difficulty and pain and challenge that come into people's lives and they bring it to their coach, I realized that I was going to have to create that space like I did with counseling. For me, the self-awareness is to just notice initially my physical response to what I'm listening to. And we have, without noticing very often, very powerful physical responses to the information that's coming in or the tone and so on. So sometimes I'll notice that I've, I feel a tightening in my throat or sometimes I'll feel kind of a stress response in my stomach or sometimes I'll feel like I'm getting a cramp in my neck. Or it could be that suddenly I realize I'm really hot and I need to turn on some air conditioning. And it's not random. It's always in response to what's going on around me. So for me, the very first thing is to notice my physical response and then to begin to really, oftentimes I'll write it down or sometimes just take some time to reflect and think, okay, what's going on here? Why am I having this physical response? 
and what does it remind me of? Because oftentimes we'll respond in such a way because we have our own experience that's similar, but we have to be able to notice, oh, okay, this is what I'm responding to. I'm probably responding to my own experience, not to the experience of the client. And so I have to be able to recognize and see, really understand what's going on here before I can come, almost like come clean to the client in service of them and without trying to process my own stuff. Yeah, I actually just had an example of this with one of our students. Mm-hmm. They noticed this pattern with their prospects in enrollment conversations. And just like we said earlier, you know, whatever you need to work on is what your prospects and clients will reflect to you. And um, they would often bring up that money objection, some variation of I can't afford it. And a lot of times the people that were sitting across from her were in debt. And Mm -hmm. so she began to empathize with them, be compassionate for them. And before she realized it, she was saying, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. Like you can't hire me because you're in debt. Like she was actually getting into their story with them. And she said, I don't know how to break this pattern. And it wasn't until she had the awareness of what was going on. And for her, the step that she took, the process that was helpful for her was to see the end result. If they could fast forward and the work that they would do together, how that would actually help empower this person to create change and to remember the outcomes over the story, not forget the story or don't pay attention to the story. But to hold the reminder as the coach, I know where we can go. I know what's possible because I've done this so many times with clients and with myself. And for her, that outcome helped to create the container that Mm. then helped her have that self-awareness that, wait, this is my stuff. I need to work on this first, which she did. And then she could hold the container and create those boundaries. Mm. So I like what you said, recognize and how am I responding? You know, is this my situation that I'm responding to that's so similar or is it Is it the clients? Yeah. And I think another thing that you've reminded me of as you describe that brilliant example is that when we listen to a person's story, we make an assumption that it's true, that kind of it's objectively Mm -hmm. true. And we get caught up into the story. And oftentimes, if it's close enough to our own experience or to an experience that we've witnessed very closely before, then we get pulled into the story, almost like when you watch a great movie or you read a good book. You, you really feel aligned with the protagonist and you really feel kind of brought into the story. You can almost, I mean, even the neuroscience proves that we have this physiological response to somebody else's story. But even on a cognitive level, we make this assumption that the story is always true. And for me, it's really helpful to remember, okay, this is her story. Firstly, it's not mine. The awareness piece, I understand, okay, this is her story I'm listening to. This is not my story that I'm looking for or identifying with. And secondly, this is a perspective that she has built up as a result of many things, usually as a way to protect her. So the story is probably not true, is often not true, but it served a very important purpose for this person up until this moment. The question is, does it continue to serve the right purpose? Does it continue to serve the individual or is it actually sabotaging them in some way? And so that's the point where you have to really identify the story and then explore it. You know, is it true? Is this something that actually is simply the perspective? And again, I say simply, and and I don't mean to in any way disrespect the story because the story is there for a very good reason. The question is, does it still serve her or him? 
And that's one of the favorite tools that I have learned personally that's really resonating to help me with this exact spot is the work of Byron Katie and the turnaround process. Mm -hmm. Is that true? How do you know this to be true? And just the three or four questions that she asks to really create the space for that exploration to be possible. And for some of our clients, we discover they're not going to let go of that story or that perspective. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, that clarity is telling right there. For some of them, they are like, wow, that's old, outdated. It doesn't serve me anymore, and I'm ready for change. And then as a coach, we can coach them in that spot to serve them towards whatever they're wanting the outcomes to be in that moment. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I mean, that's really the core piece of the work I do around helping people identify the story that they're telling and understand, you know, if it serves them, great, fantastic. If it's allowing them to lead an empowered life and they're feeling good about you know, empowered relationships and successes that they're experiencing. But the minute the story is holding them back and sabotaging them, then the work needs to be done. I'm also a, a huge fan of the work of Byron Katie. It's very, very helpful in this process. And at the same time, I think as a coach, what's really important is that we're identifying our own stories all the way along, because that's the piece that I see in coaches around me, where they get pulled into other people's stories and they begin to, the kind of lines between my story, their story, a communal story get very blurred. And that's the point, I think, where we become less useful as a coach because we're, we're doing our own work. We're not, we're not supporting the work of the client. And so I think it's really, really important to be able to understand the boundaries of their story and your story and be able to do the work that's required in the moment rather than constantly you know, I'm not saying don't process your own stories. I'm not saying don't work on your own stories. I'm saying don't do it on your client's time. Exactly. One of the things that I tell my team, we're giving the ride and we're taking the ride. There's no way to not do that simultaneously, right? And I mean, we're giving the ride, we're creating the experience, the container, the exercises, the whatever we're putting together so that our participants can have a certain experience And at the same time, we're having our own experience. And it's so important. And it's one of the things as a leader for my team, I'm reminding them regularly, you know, are you giving the ride and taking the ride? Yeah, for sure. And and I also think it's important to note that part of the ride is it can be an emotional overload. It can be just over empathizing with somebody can bring a, a lot of pain. And I think as coaches, oftentimes we are witness to a lot of pain. We're witness to the life events of our clients for whom many, we're the only people they can talk to. And the fears that they experience, again, they don't always have support mechanisms in place, especially around their business where they can articulate their fears because they have to be strong for everyone else. And so I think that, you know, there've been times for sure that I've experienced a sense of, you know, I feel like I'm not sure I can speak to another client this week. I just feel so overloaded by the emotional burden. And that's the place where I need to really step back and do my own kind of self-management, self-care, and go through that whole piece again of where am I over-identifying? Where am I not putting the boundaries in place? And you know, the big question is, in that state, I cannot be of support. I cannot be of service to my clients. So how do I pull back and put some of the, whether it's self-care or whether it's a little bit of protection around myself in order to not take on this emotional burden? Yeah. And for me, sometimes it's It may just be, I need to go outside. I'm a big fan of putting my bare feet on the grass, right? Mm -hmm. Just really Mm -hmm. feeling that texture and that feeling. And sometimes it's going for a walk 
Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just stepping out of my office. Like it doesn't even have to be a big major event. It can be a very simple thing. And and I like to, I have found that the more I can engage more of my senses, the easier I can work through whatever that state is so that I'm not lost in their story or a different situation. And from there, then I can have awareness on how to move forward. How do you handle that? Yeah, I, you've kind of stolen a lot of my stuff. <laughs> so, because yeah, I do a lot of that too. I mean, definitely getting out of the room, the house, getting into nature is a big one for me. And listening to music or for me, it's also very physical for sure. And I think another thing is to also bring some self-compassion in too, which is it's okay to feel with your clients. It's just, it has to be almost like, kind of functional and serviceable. It just, you can't let yourself get to the point where you feel too much. And the other thing for me is oftentimes if I'm very challenged by an interaction I have with a client because of an emotional burden or a load, or because either I'm over empathizing, or to be honest, sometimes I don't feel enough empathy. That's a time where I'll reach out to a colleague and I'll say, Hey, can I just share something with you? And I'll just get their their feedback. And sometimes it's just the listening so that I've articulated it. For me, it's really helpful to speak my way through my thinking. So I don't quite know what I feel. I don't quite know what I think. But when I start to talk about it, I figure it out. And so as long as I have an engaged listener who's not going to tell me what I need to think or feel, (laughs) then I find that really, really helpful. Now, you made that interesting comment. Sometimes I don't feel enough empathy. And that was like, alert, alert. What's the danger of that? Well, you're not being present for your client and you're, again, bringing your own story in. Oftentimes our client come to us in, in the worst possible state, meaning they're struggling and they bring that struggle to us. And sometimes it's hard to see them in their full potential and their full beauty and their full capability because they're just, you know, they're really kind of moaning and groaning. And sometimes it can be hard, especially if it triggers something in you. So, you know, an example might be where Somebody, I remember some years ago when my kids were really small, somebody coming to a coaching call and she was complaining about her child, her only child, who was quite big at the time, being terribly demanding and it was taking up all of her time and she wasn't able to do the things that she'd committed to the week before in the business and so on and so forth. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, for goodness sake, I've got four kids. They're all younger than yours. And, you know, and and kind of really, and of course I was only thinking it, I didn't say it, but I got off the call and I really felt terrible. Like I had so completely been in my own story and it had nothing to do with her. And we can't do this comparative suffering thing, right? We have to be able to see our client where they are and help them come up with ways and strategies to, to deal with what they're struggling with. So I remember that one particularly, I laughed at myself at how awful I was in that moment and just so not present to her and just feeling terribly sorry for myself. I love the phrase that you gave it, comparative suffering. I don't know that I've ever heard a, an actual label to it, but yeah, that's possible when we're not present when we've got so many other things. And it could just be you've got a busy work day. It doesn't even have to be that a bad thing happened in your life or you've got some other thing going on behind the scenes. It could just be you've got six other meetings the rest of the day and you're like, all right, come on, come on, come on. And so we have to be really careful about what starts to creep in. Now, earlier you told us about your background and how you worked for a rape crisis center. And you said, you know, we can't take that work home. Anything else that you want to share about how do we 
stop ourselves from carrying too much of that and, and bringing that home with us after the end of the call or the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very important to identify that we're creating space in service of our clients and that that space is different to our own personal space. And so sometimes it's making a physical differentiation. Sometimes it's just emotionally making a shift and being able to let it stay in the office, let it stay, you know, wherever your kind of physical, emotional realm is for your business. Although I think there's enormous integration between our lives and business. We're not the same people as a coach as we are as a partner or as a parent or as a child. I'm not saying they don't influence, they, they enormously do influence, but I do think we have to be able to reserve some of our professionalism for the work we do in service of our clients and allow ourselves both the grace and the space to be able to be ourselves in our own real lives outside of work. And so sometimes that means saying, okay, I'm not going to take this, like being very intentional. I'm not going to take this with me. This is not my issue. This is theirs. And if we have to do some kind of a ritual to remind ourselves of that, I think it's terribly, terribly important. Yeah, I love, I love that word ritual. I know uh, as soon as you said it, two things popped into my mind that I've done over the years. One is the serenity prayer. I think everybody listening in either knows it or has heard of it. But even just that statement, so that I can be mindful of the things I can change, the things I can't, knowing the difference, and using that in conjunction with my clients to help me stay in the space of coach. Mm. And then the other thing that I do is shaking. You've seen me do this at my events and different things like that. But just the, the shaking, like standing up from my desk, shaking my right hand, shaking my left hand, shaking my right leg, shaking my left leg, shaking my shoulders, shaking everything. And just yeah. like, the energy that doesn't serve me, shaking it out, leaving it in that physical space, and then, quote unquote, going home for the evening, which means I just walk through the door from my office, from my home office yeah. into my family room. But I have a physical space where it's like, okay, that's my work. I've left it there. So I really appreciate that you said, let it stay in that physical space, whatever represents your office. And then the other thing that's kind of, I never really had thought about this until now, but I know this is important for me, which is I have a sliding door into my office. It's actually a glass door, but it makes a kind of a swishing sound when it opens and closes. And I think there's something about that sound of the door swishing open at the end of my session or at the end of my period of work that is, is a little bit of a release of, okay, now I'm back into my life and I'm going to my kids or I'm going to my partner or whatever it is. And the work gets left behind. I love that. Now, we have talked about a lot of stuff on this topic, and I'm sure that you and I could keep talking a lot about this. And I just want to summarize some of the things that we've covered today. And I really appreciate what you said early on about how, while the topic of the call is empathy, calling it empathy really narrows down the emotional load that coaches experience because we are dealing with all kinds of emotions all the time. And the reminder about how our life is mirrored with what our clients bring to us. And we have to know how to build that capacity and vulnerability and flexibility to deal with our own stuff while holding space for others. And that really the way that we create that is through that self-awareness, creating those boundaries, and then having that team of people, whoever it might be, to talk through things. And I love some of the processes that you shared about 
debriefing the conversation for awareness and understanding and noticing that physical response that we have when a client brings something up that may trigger us or where we might be crossing that line with empathy and writing down and reflecting. I love the questions that you gave us. What's going on here? What am I experiencing? What does it mean to me? Where have I had this experience before? So we can do a little bit of self-coaching and journaling to recognize and respond in appropriate ways. And we talked about different processes that can help us not take it home with us and so that we can still be present with our clients. We talked about the emotional overload of it and how there's the comparative suffering that we do if we're not present, the self-compassion that we need to have and some tips for not letting it get the best of us. So Lisa, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Any other parting words? Well, the one thing I always love to remind people is that when we're experiencing um, challenge, pain, any kind of overwhelm, you know, any of these things that are interrupting the smoothness of our day, (laughs) let's say, I think it's really helpful to remember that there's usually a story Sometimes it's a tiny little story that's hidden away from a long time ago. It's a story we're telling ourselves that is perpetuating that challenge and that pain. And so I think it's really important to remember that the story we're telling ourselves, the story other people are telling us that we're relating to so deeply, is um, it's just a story. And it's a story we can be grateful for. It's a story we can acknowledge. It's a story we can almost like pat it on the shoulder and thank it and allow it to move on. And that can be a real release, both as a coach and as a client. Beautiful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Lisa for this amazing conversation about empathy and keeping your boundaries. And you can find out more about Lisa at story-coach.com. That's story, then a dash, coach. Lisa, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Making It and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Mishi Lance assembled the episode. Danny Eney is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To get future interesting conversations that are coming up on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it 
and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.